All week long, the only pop culture conversation that's been happening is the Oscar nominations and that Barbie snub for Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig. And whenever conversations like this start swirling around film, I only ever want to talk to one person, and that's Izzy Castadio from my favorite YouTube channel, Be Kind Rewind. So that's what we're doing today. If you want to know why people are angry or what all these nominations mean and and who will win the Oscars come March, you're going to want to listen to this chat. So let's get to it and stick around after to find out what I'm watching this weekend and what's pissing me off this week in pop culture. Spoiler alert, it's kind of controversial. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. So I am super excited to be joined by Izzy Castadio of Be Kind Rewind, my favorite YouTube channel favorite hello izzy oh my gosh hello thank you Uh, for having me and for the kind words of course i talk about you literally often on the podcast so and (laughs) you've obviously been on it before but also when i think of like film and someone who i need to talk about film with you are the person i go to and when i can't talk i mean i can text you because humble brag but (laughs) but i feel like i also just go to your youtube when i feel like i need that dose of someone talking to me about film well that's really good to hear i feel very lucky that i get to talk about it as a job it feels almost like a cosmic mistake so um (laughs) well i deeply appreciate that and you're perfect for it because like This year, I mean, I feel like this has been a great year for film. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about snubs, particularly with Barbie and Past Lives and May, December. And I feel like because there has been so many great films, that's why the snubs conversation is so huge, because there just were so many great movies. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Totally. What a crowded year. Um, I was lucky enough to go to New York Film Festival this year. And when they released that schedule, I was absolutely my jaw was on the floor, like looking at all these incredible directors that they had lined up for that festival. And of course, that didn't even include anyone that didn't have Killers of the Flower Moon. Like Mm -hmm. there were so many amazing things premiering all throughout this season. Um, So i I'm very pleased. I think this is one of the better best picture lineups we've had in a really long time. Um, So I think, you know, we're, we're swimming in, in good stuff these days, which is nice. How do you think that Because I mean, in the years past, it has always been a constant conversation of, you know, Hollywood struggling and especially post COVID like Hollywood struggling and the films being produced or, you know, just this, the, the Marvels or the big ones or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I feel, I feel like 
we're in a place, especially post-COVID and kind of post-strike, but it's strike is so soon that we're not really seeing the results of the strike yeah. into, until like next year or this end of this year. But how do you feel like, do you feel like we're getting away and we're getting back to more personal films, more like with Oppenheimer, for example, sure, that was a massive film, but it really was a, a, a an intimate drama, really, of a person mm-hmm. and not this massive superhero film. Are we getting back to those sort of like, human interest films? I hope so. I mean, one film that really gave me a lot of hope in that respect was The Holdovers. I feel like that really came and took over so many people's best of year-end lists. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really was a very intentional kind of throwback film to this kind of 1970s, very low-key, very Kramer versus Kramer, Terms of Endearment. Um, Yeah. And not only, you know, narratively but also stylistically that was obviously very much what alexander payne was going for in that film yeah um but that's the kind of film that used to come out all the time yeah um there would be multiple films like that yeah so hopefully that the success of that film and others uh inspires more studios to feel encouraged to yeah uh green light those kinds of films yeah i totally got that because i mean like, you know, my favorite film of all time is Terms of Endearment. And I love mm-hmm. that sort of vibe of the 70s and 80s where it wasn't like big studio films. Sure, it wasn't like they were on sets and everything, but they were it felt like the the wave of sort of the new wave of 70s films where you're out on the street and you're filming on location and you're doing all these things and they feel really real. But they were really human interest stories. They were really just mm-hmm. adults having problems and communicating those problems. And yep. we haven't seen a lot of those films in recent years, except for the big directors who have the the the, the name to be able to do whatever they want. But in reality, mm-hmm. like a film like Past Lives would not have existed, I don't think, in the way that it exists now, even just five years ago. Sure, it might have existed, but it it certainly wouldn't have received as much mainstream mm-hmm. attention as it's been getting, I think. I mean, I think those kinds of films are kind of always coming out of Sundance um, and sort of have a short life in theaters and maybe get a couple of critics groups nominations and things like that and then slowly disappear. Yeah. But I think, you know, the rise of these distributors who take bigger chances on smaller films like a 24 um, have sort of been able to cross that bridge a little bit um, more so than, than usual. Yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely. Well, let's talk about the, the pink elephant in the room of everyone's conversations, (laughs) which is, would it be elephant? I don't know, but with Barbie, whatever the pink Corvette, or I don't know what it would be, but yeah, <laughs> everyone is talking about the Barbie snub. Now, I know you and I probably have differing opinions because we follow each other on Instagram. Um, so I know your thoughts on sort of the, the Barbie, the Barbie thoughts of snubbing. What is your take on sort of particularly the snub of Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig in their respective categories? So as we said earlier, I think this is a really, really crowded year. And a lot of the times when you talk about snubs, one of the things I like to do is think about, okay, who would I replace here? Yes. Like, is it is it really that this person was sort of maliciously excluded from the group? Mm-hmm. Or is it just that there's so many options that uh, you sort of end up with this group instead of that group? And maybe on a different day, it would end up differently. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to think it was more of the latter with both of them because both groups are filled with individuals who've already won a lot of critics um, awards or have been consistently showing up in these groups um, in terms of nominations. So to my mind, it feels like more of a, uh, 
a selection among very good candidates mm-hmm. as opposed to some kind of like nefarious yeah. uh, influence of the patriarchy upon this film. Yeah. I think it's also worth mentioning that uh, their work wasn't completely unnoticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barbie obviously got um, eight nominations it received Best Picture as well as Adapted Screenplay. So both uh, Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig have an opportunity to come away with an award on March 10th during the Oscars. Um, and kind of in my mind, I feel that, especially with Margot Robbie, so much of the press coverage that I've been reading about Barbie uh, has really emphasized her role as a producer and how authorial her her influence was over the final film as a producer, securing uh, the fact that they could do actual set pieces instead of CGI, even bringing Greta Gerwig on, um, securing the release date alongside Oppenheimer and choosing not to move it. I mean, she was really behind the scenes doing so much of that on the ground, gritty yeah. production work. Um, and in my mind, I feel like that is... Um, a monumental achievement. I mean, this is an actress's production company producing a billion dollar film. That is really, truly something we haven't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's an appropriate uh, thing that she was rightly recognized for that achievement yeah. in the best picture category. Um, I don't think we've I ever think, seen that. I don't think that's ever happened no, before. I, I don't think we, I mean, certainly actresses have produced of other course. films and, yeah. But not nominated for not best picture, billion but dollar films, not a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, so that is quite impressive. Yeah. Uh, and so it's not as if she's limited to getting one nomination. But if I were to choose between the two best actress and uh, best picture, I think she was sort of correctly slotted there. Yeah, I think in sort of it's so interesting because I mean, I think she should have been nominated for Best Actress only because of and this is where the conversation goes to. Is it about the acting or is it symbolic? Is it like is it because we Mm. know that the nominations are never just about one thing, you know, oftentimes there's a lot of different factors that go into it. And 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 past winners have won because of a lot of different reasons that have nothing to do with the film they won for. So Mm -hmm. it's and in this situation, in my opinion, it feels weird for the rule to be sort of changed a little bit in that, like, you know, she, she did do a lot and it is about, even though the best picture nomination is a shared nomination with other people, it still is. She was a big part of that best picture nomination. There is something about like, just feeling like something was missed in that individual nomination for Margot Robbie, because she is so symbolically everything about the film from the production angle to the, the the namesake of the film to just the ability of and then there was a lot of conversations about you know can ryan gosling getting the nomination and how it sort of mirrors the story of the film and her being left out of the conversation and how ken you know had to be one note but barbie had to be every note in a lot of ways in terms of performance she had to fold be the spectrum of doll to human and all of the arguments that you can make for if you're comparing the two performances and it's it's I feel like a lot of people are probably a they don't understand the process of the Oscars. And I think you're exactly right. It was just an incredible year, particularly for actresses. There were just so many goddamn performances that were just so perfect that it just I don't think she made it in because of the brilliance of all of the acting that there was. But in a sure. symbolic sense, it just feels sort of like and again, what you, we were texting about yesterday, which I thought was so interesting because I didn't make the connection to Barbara Streisand for well, particularly for Yentl with 
Greta Gerwig in that comparison, but also with the Prince of Tides, too. There's two instances where it feels like the those two years, the major conversations were Barbara Streisand was snubbed. You know what I mean? Barbara Streisand mm-hmm. for her project for the two films she directed. And it what I find interesting about that is also in those years, as particularly in 1991, it was a great year for directors. It was a great year for film. And I think she just in the same situation, there just were too many good options, you know, wouldn't you agree? I think so. I mean, I think one of the major differences between Barbara Streisand and kind of what I'm seeing with Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig is that especially for Yentl, yeah. um, there was kind of a vindictive undertone to those snubs that felt very personally directed toward Barbara Streisand. I mean, there were rumors spread that she didn't actually direct Yentl, that actually it was Steven Spielberg. Like there aren't these kind of there were. L- that's, yes. wild. That's wild. There were, um, you know, like articles written quoting um, different producers and industry insiders who were saying like, well, she just doesn't belong here. Mm. It, it's it was a very personal attack that I think was underscored by this feeling that a very old school feeling that women shouldn't be directors. And that's kind of what she was wrestling with. And there were very, very few, I mean, even fewer than we see today precedents for her Mm -hmm. um, as a female director in that kind of role. So to me, I think a lot of that maliciousness has thankfully um, gone, maybe not gone away. We don't know because people aren't, I don't think are brave enough to say that out loud anymore, but um, certainly has been, tamed and to my knowledge i don't think that there is kind of like this same personal vendetta against greta gerwig like there aren't Mm -hmm. rumors spread against her there aren't um you know bad stories going around about margot robbie so in that sense i feel like they are kind of standing on the shoulders of giants and kind of allowed to work with much more freedom than barbara streisand ever was yeah um, Do you think it being a blockbuster, that Barbie being a blockbuster, perhaps sure. could be the double standard that is similar to the Barbara Streisand uh, pushback <clears throat> that that because it is such a mainstream film and it doesn't like I'm looking at all the female directors that have ever been nominated for best director. And they're all mm-hmm. for the most part, with the exception of Hurt Locker, independent films. But even Hurt Locker was pretty much an in, uh, an intimate drama. It wasn't like a massive blockbuster film. So. In a way, it feels like, and this is just my opinion, but it feels like the Oscars are like, oh, well, you know, the indie artists who do these great films like Nomadland or Lost in Translation or whatever, they can get Best Director nominations. But not if they're making a film like at of the size of a film like Oppenheimer or these other big major films that these male directors get nominated for, but the female director doesn't, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think... The question of Barbie as like a corporate product has been kind of following it from the beginning, not just because it's a blockbuster, but because it also very much is like tied in with a product and like um, the marketing of that product. I think one of the things that has sort of felt maybe misguided about the response to these snubs is sort of like the the severity of it with respect to Barbie, but kind of not following that logic with other nominees who've experienced similar um, snubs. So Mm. for example, like past lives, Celine song uh, 
is also nominated for best screenplay. Yeah. She, um, Past Lives won a Best Picture nomination, but Greta Lee and Celine Song were also not nominated in in actress or director. Yeah. Or Alexander Payne not getting director, but got you know screenplay and Best Picture. So it's sort of I think what is a little uh, strange. Kind of observing this is like I think there's always been a suspicion about Barbie from the beginning, which is like oh, like it's selling this idea of like feminism and mm-hmm. equality but really it's an ad <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. to kind of see this reaction go so strongly toward barbie's perceived um you know lack of recognition mm-hmm. it kind of like confirms those suspicions in a way where it's like was this actually about feminism and yeah. equality or is it just about Barbie? Because <laughs> because if it were about equality, like we would be talking more about um, America Ferreira. Yes, we would yeah. be talking more about Celine Song. We would be talking more about Lily Gladstone um, and all of these other achievements that are extremely impressive, uh, but which are kind of being overshadowed by just like an affinity to a property and a product. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's what's I think. Uh, driving a lot of the Barbie cynicism, yes. shall we say. Yes, I feel that too. I mean, it's, again, the pink elephant in the room. I'm going to stick with that. Yeah. It's That's what it is. Well, I need to also totally. ask you about the other snub of a film that both you and I loved. I think you, I know you loved, uh, May, December. Um, yes. And <laughs> how May, December was, I have to tell you, I saw, I was at that TCM event that we had texted about, um, the 30th mm-hmm. anniversary TCM event. And I saw Christine Vachon there and I went up and like no one was surrounding her because, you know, I don't think a lot of people in that room, they recognize her. But like, you know, sure. regular people don't. And I was just like, oh, my God, I love you. <laughs> I just like literally had to like put it out there. Why? I mean, how upset are you about May, December's? Because it only got one nomination, right? For screenplay. So yeah. Like, yeah. How angry are you? Oh, I it, it hurts my soul. I got to tell you, <laughs> oh, it's just terrible. I can't say I was surprised, though. I kind of got the sense um, as award season has progressed that sag, things, the it's, sag it's gotten, yeah, it's the, just yeah. slowly disappeared from all of these um, awards groups and things. So that's very sad. Um, I wonder why. Why do you think? I mean, was it too camp? Because it felt there was a camp queer element to it that with the music and the editing and it was very much like a, I kind of likened it to a very, very sophisticated, like Will Ferrell, Kristen Wiig's like sketch of like a dramatic lifetime film, sort of like what they did. I think (laughs) they did a lifetime film that was sort of like that. And, Mm -hmm. and it kind of had that vibe, which I loved because it made the intimate drama more sort of like, nuanced and unique you know what i mean sure yeah totally i mean i will say i think todd haynes always has this problem yes even when he's making the most conventional film you can imagine like dark waters for Mm -hmm. example which doesn't even feel like a todd haynes film yeah um it's very much like a procedural kind of biopic court drama Mm -hmm. um and yet didn't go anywhere didn't really get any recognition you know like this has just plagued him throughout his career from the his most stylistic work to 
the most conventional. So I don't know what it is specifically about his sensibility (laughs) that is kind of turning people off. I have to imagine a lot of this happens at a studio level Mm. um, where they're kind of picking and choosing what they're going to emphasize throughout the season. And very clearly, uh, Netflix has invested a lot in Maestro and um, Nyad, it turns out. So um, there's that. But I also think, you know, I think the streaming model doesn't serve mm-hmm. Todd Haynes films very well. I agree. Um, May December isn't the kind of film that's going to read as well on your TV as it is in a theater where I think I think Nyad translates pretty well. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, Maestro, I think, would be much better in a theater, but it's just gotten so much more attention than mm-hmm. May December has. So. Um, I ha- yeah, I just have to believe there's something going on kind of at a higher level that we aren't privy to that yeah. must be guiding some of these decisions because I know critics were very enthusiastic about yeah. May, December. And I was, I mean, out of all of them, of course, Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman are going to, you know, steal all mm-hmm. of the attention. But I was actually surprised Charles Melton's sort of steam for being nominated fizzled out just because oftentimes... Uh, for whatever reasons, those kind of performances tend to get the recognition, tend to get the because it did kind of come out of nowhere. And this young actor was able to p- deliver something against powerhouses of actresses, you know, and it, it absolutely it blew me away that he isn't in the mix um, out of all of the acting in the film, because Julianne Moore, and Natalie Portman, they're always going to be a rumored nominee for yeah. any for literally any film they ever do maybe maybe julianne moore's comedy is not so much but like still you know what i mean like Evan hansen i mean <laughs> oh my god i was just watching i was i was hate watching clips of that last night <laughs> it's so bad uh but yeah i was surprised that charles melton didn't get didn't even go any for i was really surprised he didn't get a sag nomination and that's when it I all know, started that was me. what shocked me that yeah. that shocked me quite a bit i mean to be shut out of sag entirely was very shocking um and i do you know i think a lot of people have brought up the idea that maybe uh actors were a little uncomfortable with some of the things that may december was saying about acting um and kind of how exploitative it can be yeah i think there might be some true to that truth to that i don't think of it as an extremely influential factor but um yeah certainly i think just kind of the difficulty of you know, maybe having your phone out while you're watching this film might make a little bit of a difference. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. I agree. I agree. The other thing too, you brought up Bradley Cooper and I wasn't going to bring this up, but I feel like you're the only person that I can actually have this conversation with. There is just (laughs) something about Bradley Cooper that I do not like. I mean, there is, I'm going to put, I know this is horrible of me to say because I potentially could interview him someday, but I just have to be on the record and just say, I've never seen a person, man or woman, be more hungry for an award than mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper comes off as. I don't know if that's actually the case, but there is a sense of, and even with Maestro, like, yeah, I get it. It's his vision. It's his idea. It's about, you know, what it's about what he wants to put out there. But I left Maestro being like, oh, this is all Carrie Mulligan's film. Like, why isn't why? Why are we? Why is this story not being told from her point of view? Because that's the interesting part of this story. We've all seen a dude become famous, become a genius, cheat on his wife and then die. Like we've seen those movies. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I want to see the wife's perspective because she's the one who had to deal with all of his shit. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is nothing ironically that um, 
awards prognosticators hate more than ambition, um, <laughs> which is <laughs> so funny, but it is so consistent. I mean, like this was kind of, I think, Anne Hathaway's problem for a while yes. that a lot yes. of people just kind of hated her for uh, existing and trying yeah yeah just being <laughs> um, an, but an now actor, she's smart yeah. in the recent years she's smart because she's gone very sort of like queer baby camp and in the way that like she's just like okay well i know i'm gonna get the gays on my side and that will keep her working forever <laughs> well she i mean she has spoken about this before of kind of like consciously taking a step back and like giving people room to breathe yeah where she would just wasn't in the press all of the time and i think that was really smart but also like deeply sad that she felt that she had to do that because everybody was kind of attacking her. Um, But I do think, yes, like Bradley Cooper has kind of become the, the villain of of this year. Yes. Um, For me, I mean, I did not like Maestro very much. I didn't. And have been kind of loud about it. So I loved Carrie in it. I loved Carrie in it. Yeah. 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 I was very, um, I was enjoying, I'll be honest, some of the memes and such that were coming out about Bradley Cooper for yeah. a while. I think it's sort of crossed over into like, you know, anytime he like shift, shift his eyes or something, yeah. you know, people are like, oh, he's gonna do a tar and like <laughs> tackle the person at the to- the podium, you know, and yeah. it's, it's like gotten a little outrageous. Yeah, um, it has. But I do think, you know, he is with, talented. If, he is talented. He, that's what I was going to say. I would like if Bradley Cooper, this isn't a kind of thing where I'm like, Bradley Cooper, you're, you're done. I never want to see anything again. Yeah. It's the, when you come out with something that I am going to get behind, like I'm going to get behind it. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm here for the work. I'll, it just, I'll support it when I'm ready. It kind of goes back to that, um, uh, that Kate Winslet guest appearance on extras, you know, uh, that Ricky Gervais show. Was it called? Yeah, it was extras. Yeah. And she was talking about the surefire way to get an Oscar is to be in like a World War II movie and play a nun or something. And she wound up <laughs> yeah. winning an Oscar for being in a Holocaust movie. Um, yeah. And Bradley Cooper also is it's the new modern way of thinking about it in that like Bradley Cooper's like, oh, well, if I play a, a gay dude in a biopic, I will win an Oscar because history shows that has how that works for you. I know. And well, this is this is why I think best actor is kind of like the most frustrating category because mm-hmm. it's often it's like the most like grand guignol version of like a biopic that you can imagine just yeah. like the most egregious prosthetics and i mean like in more ways than one in this case obviously but like you, you know i remember gary oldman and his like hat suit or whatever yeah. he was wearing for winston churchill i mean these yeah. are always insane freddie the freddie mercury teeth like, oh i it's so bizarre and it like it constantly baffles me that a group of professionals yeah buy it yeah yeah Yeah. like i just will never understand that that taste level to to really believe like that is it that is i kind of feel like it started with um nicole kidman's nose in the hours and then everyone after all the men after that were like well let's go to the wall put on the fat suit (laughs) you know what i mean i know (laughs) and you know what the hours is such a great example of like how come everybody was obsessed with that but like we can't understand a todd haynes film yeah what i mean yeah far from heaven did okay that year actually but like um, she deserved the, the Oscar time, for that, like, though. She should please, won. you know, Julianne yep. Moore should have won the Oscar for that. I know. Um, I know. Well, before we get to the categories, they I do want to ask you about um, a couple of films that 
I'm surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised at Oppenheimer at all. Oppenheimer dominated. I feel like I knew that as soon as I saw the film that it would dominate every category. And I'm, I love that Emily Blunt finally has an Oscar nomination. I feel like she's been she's been owed one for years. Um, I am surprised. I want to know your thoughts on poor things because I'm mm-hmm. I'm sort of torn on poor things. I don't mm-hmm. I don't love it as much as everyone seems to love it. Yeah, and I'm surprised that it's gotten that much i mean it got 11 nominations i think it got or yeah maybe more i don't know it got a lot of nominations um mm-hmm. are you surprised at how quickly it's become i mean emma stone could very easily win another oscar definitely yeah but i i kind of share your surprise um i went into that film with very high expectations a because it had received such fantastic reviews yeah um, and won a bunch of awards even before I was able to see it and um, in a critic screening. Um, and then B, because I absolutely love Yorgos Lanthimos. Like I love Same. his other films Same. so much. The favorite was fantastic. Um, the lobster. I love the favorite yeah. killing of a sacred deer, like all of them. Yeah. I've, I have such affection for, so I was very excited to see how that would translate into what seems like a more loudly stylized version mm-hmm. of, of his work. Yeah. Um, and I think I think the tangent he kind of took with his style wasn't quite to my liking yeah, <laughs> as much as it was to everyone else's. Um, I didn't think it was as funny as his other work. Um, and I also I think like the sense of humor that it had was just not in my wheelhouse exactly just kind of like the the terms that he was using like vigorous jumping and all these things like i just don't think that's funny (laughs) i agree i it it was just a little silly for me um so i don't really have the same enthusiasm everyone does but it is the kind of film that i still have a lot of respect for and would never necessarily be angry about it winning a lot of awards because it is so interesting yeah yeah like it is really interesting and it's strange and that's cool that a lot of people are gravitating toward it um i didn't really share the same like offense that i think a lot of people took yeah uh like you know the argument that she had a baby brain and all of those kinds of things (laughs) um i didn't kind of get that but it is wild to think that i mean because you know back in the day I mean, back in the day, but like it is uncommon for actors to win two Oscars. It just is. And mm-hmm. it is it, it's a rare club to be in. And in modern day, the only actresses that have really been able to achieve it, especially in the leading categories, have been Jodie Foster and Hilary Swank, which shocks me that Hilary Swank has two Oscars. But and Fran. And yes, we, it's, you're right. Exactly. And Frances mm-hmm. McDormand. And then also you could say Jessica Lange, although her first was for sporting. So there are modern actresses that have two Oscars sitting home. Meryl Streep, of course, just three. But it is not a common thing. And especially for someone. I mean, Jodie Foster was probably Jodie Foster. and Hillary Swank are probably the two examples of younger actresses getting two Oscars very quickly back to back. Yeah. And so Emma Stone, if she wins for best actress, it would be. It would be shocking, I think, to see that, you know, to see that. I mean, yeah. she's, she's not even 40, I don't think. She's probably just in her early 30s at this point, and she are, already is nearing two Oscars. Well, and I think a lot of this has to do with kind of like a, a generational shift in like the way that we're kind of approaching Best Actress. Best Actress is getting older and older Yeah. Um, than it's ever been. Emma Stone, uh, they're kind of in like that Jennifer Lawrence generation where like a bunch of really young ones won yeah. very early in their careers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're just going to be around a lot longer than a lot of other actors yes. have 
been able to stick around or it's like you win when you're young and then you're kind of discarded yeah and you don't really get the chance to like rack up a ton so i feel like she they're just going to have a lot more opportunities to win more than probably was ever possible um and to get nominated more than was ever possible like annette benning we think of as someone who's been snubbed again and again and again she only has one more oscar nomination than Emma Stone does, which is wild, which is wild to think about, you know? Oh my God. And it's kind of like, um, you know, it used to be that you would get to this point where you kind of like had accumulated like a Julianne Moore win where you kind of accumulate enough nominations that you just kind of win one for something that feels semi-appropriate. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm, I'm curious to be, to see who will be that actor. That you know is, what I mean? Like, I don't think we have one of those yet to maybe like Amy Adams, but she seems to live of kind of a different generation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I don't know. That's so interesting. I'm that I never, the, the Annette Benning fact sort of blew my mind. Um, the other thing I want to talk to you about is killers of the flower moon. I think, and I love Martin Scorsese as a director. I love many of his films, but I also feel like <laughs> at this point they're just giving him like, they'll let him do anything he wants. And sure. <laughs> Lily Gladstone is amazing in it, but I'm also like, Dude, just make a mob film. Come on. Like, this is what we want from you. You know, I there's something about I feel like there's like the hype of Martin Scorsese is getting to the point where it's just like it's a little too strong. It's a little too like I don't know that that could be controversial, but I think Casino is one of the best films of all time. And that is what I expect from a Martin Scorsese in a way. And whenever he goes out mm-hmm. on a limb and does something that's a little bit not that I'm always like I'm scared to, that I'm going to hate it. I rarely do, mm-hmm. but I won't say I loved Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, I think there are a lot of different conversations surrounding Killers of the Flower Moon that are valid. Um, <laughs> but I I have to say, I'm quite obsessed with like late stage Scorsese. Like, <laughs> I ever since, you know, Silence was fantastic and it's mm-hmm. kind of under recognized. Um, the Irishman. Yeah. This, I'm sure the next one's going to be even better isn't it about um, jesus i think it's about jesus he has a jesus movie and then yeah. he's also adapting then the, the uh, another book that the author of killers of the flower moon um oh. wrote okay. about a shipwreck i believe um cool. i don't remember the title of it but he's also doing that with dicaprio um so yeah i mean it just seems like he has a kind of freedom that he didn't have in the 2000s yes. um, where he was sort of like more strictly attached to very traditional studios. And these mm-hmm. streaming services are kind of using him for his prestige, I yes. think. Yeah. And he can kind of get a lot out of that as well of kind of these enormous budgets mm-hmm. um, that kind of allow him to do what he wants to do. Um, but uh yeah, I'm I'm very enthusiastic about him. And I think I feel a little protective of him just because yeah. of all of the, you know, the guardianship of, of cinema that he yeah. has and kind of the bullets he takes for people who don't love Marvel movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do love him. I love him as a director. I just sometimes yeah. I get very scared about about, you know, I sometimes because I, I look at someone like Todd Haynes, who I respect so much, and I'm like, he does so much with so little and he makes something brilliant on sort of the not having the studio system and not having the support. And so sometimes I think there is something to being 
hungry and not having everything you need to make what you need. Do you know what I mean? There is something mm-hmm. like about making a film. I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's sort of like the the independent sort of mindset of independent filmmakers of like, well, you have to make brilliance out of the little bit that you have. And, and a lot of times those results I love more than when someone gets all of the money to make their masterpiece, like a Bradley Cooper, for example. Well, for sure. And I think it kind of can reorient how you think about a film as well. Um, So for example, there was a recent profile of Sofia Coppola where she detailed in more um, like precise ways the way that funding limited the making of Priscilla. Mm. So for example, like the back half of the film is kind of talking about Priscilla's emergence from Elvis and how she becomes her own independent woman and all of that. But it's a very truncated portion of the film. And ultimately like a lot of that was limited by budget and what they were able to do. So for example, she couldn't, um, rent or she couldn't like get permission to film or didn't have the money or something, uh, shots of, Priscilla like driving down the streets of LA and she wanted Mm. to show her in LA and all of these things. So what she did was she ended up reusing uh, scenes from like a Chanel commercial that she had shot. Oh, wow. um, And basically just like putting in (laughs) shots from of like a car and like driving in LA that kind of looked like it was Kaylee Spaney um, from a distance. So it is like, that's a extremely resourceful way of kind of making a scene happen that you have literally no resources to make happen. That's why um, it's very impressive, but it's also like very sad. It's you know, sad it's like too, I yeah. wish you had, I wish you had the Scorsese budget to do what you and wanted she to do. Should. She's Sophia Coppola. I know it's really crazy. I mean, if you think about it too, like Todd Haynes from the beginning of his career has always talked about how budgets have limited him. Mm-hmm. And even with this film, he was saying like, literally the budget was so small and he couldn't think of any reason why. And he was like, we have these huge stars, but I think part of it had to do with the fact they were telling stories about women that they just like, were not interested in putting a ton of money into it. I think Charles told me, cause I interviewed him. I think he told me that they didn't even do a rehearsal because I don't think it was in Mm -hmm. the budget to get the people together to do a rehearsal, which is, but, and well, that's also true that uh, Julianne Moore and Todd Haynes never rehearsed together. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know then. I didn't know that. Yeah. Part. So yeah. that might have been a little easier for them, like just having that rapport with each other. But yeah, totally. That. Well, I want to go over some of the major categories with you and just get your general thoughts on them. Um, and I want to start with best supporting actor. Who were who were you surprised by, and who do you think is going to win? Ooh, let me look up a list really quickly so I sure. don't say anything. Well, I'll uh, start it off. So I, I was, okay. def- I was very surprised to see Sterling K. Brown. I like that he made the mix. Yes. I did not expect his name to be announced that day. I think he probably took the place of Charles Melton in the conversation um, or mm-hmm. in that in that category. But I do think that Robert Downey Jr. is probably. I mean, this is going to be the if if Killian Murphy doesn't win, this is going to be the one acting award that Oppenheimer wins. I think guaranteed. For sure. Um, I was similarly surprised by that. I haven't actually seen American Fiction yet, so mm. I don't have really any it's really good. commentary on that. Um, but yeah, it does seem like the two supporting actor categories seem pretty locked down at yeah. this point. Um, and good for Robert Downey Jr. I mean, I'm not sure this is the best <laughs> performance in his career, but yeah. I think it's nice. like he's he's one of those who's been around for so long and has gone through a lot. And yeah. the narrative around him has changed so many times. And it's kind of nice to see this little exclamation point 
um, yeah. moment in his career. And it's nice to see someone that we've literally seen be a part of the Hollywood conversation really since the eighties mm-hmm. and we've seen, and, and both his private struggles too, to get to this point, it is, there is yeah. something outside of the performance that makes you want to kind of be like, okay, I'm okay with him winning. And then of course, divine joy Randolph too. Um, of course, I mean, I, when I saw the holdovers, I, I actually saw it late cause I, everyone had been talking about it. And I was like, cause Alexander Payne, sometimes I'm a little like, okay, I, I get what he does. Like, I know, I know what I'm <laughs> getting from this, but I respect him as a writer. I just sometimes don't like him as a director. So I held off seeing it. And then I saw it and I was just like, this is like those early eighties, late seventies personal films that I just love like being there. And like these beautiful films that I love so much that are just about people talking and, mm-hmm. And connecting and and putting three different people who are so weird and should never be in the same room together somehow be in the same room and being intimate with each other. It's just it was such a beautiful film. And she was the her and Paul Giamatti were the two in the film that just sort of like took my heart. Yeah, absolutely. And she's another one who's just been working for so long and kind of just never has gotten her laurels. Um, And so it's really good to see this moment happened for her as well. Yeah. Well, and speaking of, um, or is there any other surprises in best supporting that you want to, you want to highlight Best. I mean, I do think people thought America Ferrero was kind of a surprise. Yes. 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 That was um, a surprise. I guessed when I saw it, I did not expect it, which is why <laughs> I thought when I saw her name mentioned, cause I knew Ryan Gosling would get it. But like when I saw her name mentioned, I just assumed Barbie would have a great day that day that would be in the yeah. would be in the double digit nominations and would be having a great day because it was a surprise to see her nominated. No one expected her to get nominated. I mean, that monologue did a lot for a lot of people, I guess, Yeah, because I mean, it was one of the, the big conversation points from from the year. So yeah. it reminds me of sort of like those Oscar nominations, like Beatrice Strait and Network, where it's like. She's in one scene and it's one iconic monologue or or moment in a movie and yeah. that gets you the nomination. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So good. Yeah. So good. Well, the best actor. I want to move to that because that one outside of best actress, because best actress almost feels kind of expected to me with the possibility of a surprise. But best actor feels like and I mean, I never care about the best actor race. I'll admit it because I'm well, I'm a homosexual, but like I and I care about best actress more than anything. But um, best actor feels like an exciting race between Killian Murphy and Paul Giamatti. It does. Yeah. Um, And I think it's it's kind of thrilling. I mean, both of them. I love both of them as actors. So Mm -hmm. I, I love actually like pretty much all of them. Yeah. as actors so it's like it's it's a one good of those year for best actor be, i know which is shocking i um, know right well the exception of with the exception well, of bradley yeah, cooper yeah. Yeah. but it was you know jeffrey wright who's is just another one who's like should yeah. have been a leading man for decades and decades. like has just sort of been languishing in a lot of these supporting roles so yeah. it's really lovely to see him here as well yeah killian murphy i think i i personally didn't love oppenheimer if i'm yeah. honest yeah. but I do think there's such a severity to his, like the architecture of his face that yes. really makes the, the the anguish of that role mm-hmm. um, come to life. Um, and Paul Giamatti, I mean, this is like, that was a hand tailored role for him. Just, you know, an eccentric like guy who's ready to burst and, yeah. um, but also be extremely sensitive. Like mm-hmm. what a lovely performance that was. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I personally am rooting for Paul Giamatti. I just think, yeah, I love when a character actor and he is the definition of a character actor. And it's sort of like when Forrest Whitaker run one where 
these are just actors who don't care about being leading men. They just care about acting. And yeah. when they get that leading role, that is also a character role that becomes strong enough to win best actor. It's exciting or best actress. It's exciting to see that happen to an actor like that, that like literally just the other day, we, my boyfriend and I were here and of course I'm excited about Paul Giamatti and thinking about all his great work. And then we randomly put on a guilty pleasure movie that we both love, which is San Andreas, which is that stupid <laughs> like earthquake movie starring the rock. And yeah, Paul Giamatti is just randomly in it. And I'm just like, that bitch is an actor. <laughs> You know, I know. Yeah. Like, I feel like my first Paul Giamatti exposure was in whatever that Frankie Muniz movie. Is yes. Yes. Dies himself blue. Yes. Yes. But that's the thing is like he will show up and he will steal a scene yeah. like that is what he does. And yeah. so it's nice to see him just like usher an entire drama on uh-huh. his own, not on his own, but, you know, yeah. um, in a, in a big role. Same with, yeah, same with Jeffrey Wright, where it's like, I haven't yeah. seen this movie, as I said, but like, he steals literally everything that he's in. Yeah. Like, yeah. best part of French Dispatch, like, easy. So, so, I, so yeah, good. I'd be really happy. With I was also excited about uh, Coleman Domingo as well. I was really, mm-hmm. I was worried that he wouldn't get in the mix, but he's another actor, sort of like Jeffrey Wright, that's been delivering such great performances. He's an actor's actor. He's a character actor. And he just getting in that mix is I mean the rest in the film was a little sort of formulaic, but it the performance was just great, and I'm glad that he's in them. I'm just glad his name's in the mix, you know. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, for best actress, though, so I think I I don't think Emma Stone's going to win. I don't. I wouldn't be shocked if she won, but I think Lily Gladstone. I don't think they're going to miss this moment. To I don't think Killers of the Flower Moon is going to win many awards, and I think this is going to be probably the standout award that the Killers. One. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, at least I hope so. I, know. Um, I would love to see Lily Gladstone win. I mean, if I'm thinking about what my favorite performance of the year was by anyone, it's Sandra Holler in Anatomy of a Fall. Yes. I think that was transcendent. It yeah. was incredible. Yeah. Um, so it would be really nice to see her win. But also, I mean, how good was Lily Gladstone? <laughs> like, I let's know. be honest. I know. So it's it's like, it's really tough to... I don't know who I would vote for in this case, but I would really love to see Lily Gladstone. Well, and I hate that it's probably going to come down to, and I hate to say it, it's probably going to come down to their campaign season and sort of the interviews and everything. Literally, I think in the race between Emma Stone and Lily, I I hate that it gets to that when it's sort of this kind of race where like it comes down to how you campaign. And Emma Stone is a brilliant, she's great on TV. She's great in interviews. She's great. And Lily Gladstone is just an actor's actor and she's not necessarily performative in interviews. I just watched her this morning on CBS and I love her to death, but I'm also like, she's not trying to be funny, entertaining, chatty person, you know? Yeah. I've noticed this too. I've, I've had a very similar observation because I watch like everybody watches those round tables, you know, and Uh you kind of get a sense of how, people are like acting in these very, very performative situations, like as they're kind of courting votes, shall we say? Most definitely. I mean, it's just so funny, like seeing people who maybe are in this situation for the first time, like Lily Gladstone, Mm -hmm. who like, and who also I think probably has like, is too serious to like try to do that. Yeah. Or like a Sandra Holler who, like is coming from like a different industry basically that like mm-hmm. doesn't have that kind of 
politicking in the same way where yeah. that's like very loud and obvious. Yeah. Um, and so like seeing the two of them kind of like navigate that very, like someone says something and we all have to laugh. Yeah. If it's not funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. uh, these extreme, like, the strange dynamic that occurs in these situations um, is really important. I think actually to mm-hmm. kind of making this uh, to getting the, across the finish line shall we say yeah um so i've been curious how that would impact it but i don't think it is really i mean lily is like really killing it she is i know and it's not like she's being you know i'm not saying that she's she's not boring i mean she's definitely not boring i mean i'm fascinated to watch her but i'm but we're those people i mean i'm talking about like middle america you know what i mean um Mm -hmm. so okay so for best director i think this has been a fantastic year for directors and really just like it's sort of like it feels like a, a 70s sort of year of just like great directors doing really original work who do you think is, I, I don't think anyone can stop christopher nolan though at this point i know yeah i don't think so either if i were gonna vote for somebody i would probably vote for jonathan glazer to be honest oh interesting um, because i think that was just like formally such an interesting so fascinating approach just i mean structurally narratively like what a strange film um and like such a key vision to bringing that to life in a way that um i think is truly unique Mm -hmm. for that kind of film um for the zone of interest for everyone listening for zone of interest yes correct and but yeah i mean literally anyone on this list i'd be like sick awesome yeah (laughs) i know i know it's and and that's why when we're talking about snubs and stuff and celine song not being in there greta gerwig not being in there it does bother me but i also look at the list and i'm like i get it like I get it. Like I yeah. get. I get why these people are in the mix, you know. And I was really happy to see Anatomy uh, of a Fall be in to be get the kind of recognition that a film like that rarely does, you know. Mm-hmm. On this mm-hmm. great, I mean, I think Sandra's nomination probably was more expected than, or maybe a screenplay nomination before to get picture director. I mean, that was a good. That was a surprising sign. And I really, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And uh, so cool. And so it, cool. Justine Trier is like the, a really great example of someone who's really good at coming in and like, she's so fun to listen to. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Like all of her acceptance speeches are so good. Like it's yeah. exciting to see her win. <laughs> totally. And I could see her winning screenplay. I really could. I think so. I mean, I do think, to be honest, Greta Gerwig probably will win Adapted. And you it's think so. Won. I, I think so. Interesting. Um, and so it's probably good that for, for um, Justine Trier that she was moved out of that category. Yeah. yeah. That Barbie was moved into adapted instead of um, original. Yeah. Yeah. I can see. Also, I mean, her speech at the Golden Globes when she won, when she was so surprised for screenplay reminded me of like every flustered substitute teacher I ever had not realizing they had to come into a certain class one day. And they're just sort of like, what's happening? Where am I? And she, yeah. she, she had that vibe to me, uh, I know. which I, well, like the Academy Awards have such a, um, and I guess the Golden Globes as well have such like a local yes. awards vibe. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, I don't think any Europeans like think of it as like their goal you know what i mean and yeah. so it's like kind of it fun when they <laughs> when they win and it's just like where yeah, am i <laughs> what's happening yeah well then finally for best picture i mean i love I, I think a lot of people somehow are still surprised that there are 10 category or 10 nominees in this category because it seems to be the conversation every year even though it's been the case for years now um mm-hmm. but i love that there are 10 nominees and even though these 10 nominees were so expected to me even past lives because there is such a wide breadth that you can nominate 
I still am very excited by everyone in this list. I think it's a fantastic list. Absolutely. I mean, if um, I always think of the Academy Awards as kind of like skimming the top of Mm -hmm. like the best dramas of the year, like it's not deep cuts. It's like what the most people saw and can kind of get behind. And if this is a portrait of that, I feel like that's good news like that that's a good thing that a lot of these films are getting attention i mean a lot of these are really challenging and complicated yeah um zone of interest it's a weird movie yeah yeah yeah. it's hard so that's um that's great i'm i'm happy with with this list who do you think is gonna wear isn't on it i know i know may december (laughs) should be who do you think is gonna win i do think oppenheimer will win yeah um it just seems very tailor-made for that kind of like broad appeal mm-hmm. and um, i'm not necessarily mad at it i mean i didn't love it either but i definitely had an, a reaction to it and i definitely left thinking like wow that dude made a movie like this is a movie mm-hmm. it's this, big it's big and this man loves filmmaking and you feel that and so when that when i see a movie like that even though i don't get it and it's not my vibe like may december is more my vibe the holdovers is more my vibe i yeah. still respect it because i'm like this is a fucking movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Um, I'm a little sad because I didn't see it in a theater. I wish I had. Mm. Um, and I just like missed literally every opportunity that I had to see it, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I got the full impact of the bigness of it. Um, I, when I, I saw it's kind of good. I, they're going to re I hope they re-release it in theaters before the Oscars. Cause I think yeah. in a weird way, the 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 theater and I love seeing movies in theaters and I think that's the way you should see all of the best picture nominees. But yeah, um, the there was something about the way in which it was marketed that whole Barbieheimer sort of situation. Is that what it was mm-hmm. called? Barbieheimer. Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. Yeah. yeah. Um, that that and I'm, this is just me generalizing audiences, but because everyone was like, oh, you have to see both. You got to see Barbie and Oppenheimer. Some of the people that were in Oppenheimer's uh, and I saw it and I uh, people were Snapchatting during Oppenheimer, like (laughs) like someone who clearly had gone to see Barbie and then did the whole Barbenheimer thing. And I was just annoyed the entire time that this person, no, no judgment on them, but no no, judgment, actually. But full judgment, fully fully judging you. But that person would never would never go to see Oppenheimer if it wasn't for the Barbie campaign that was sort of with Oppenheimer and that person made my viewing experience Oppenheimer much worse because of the Snapchat of it all. Um, Exactly. And that's why they should be judged. Yes. That's that's why they should be judged. So if it does get re-released, I hope it gets re-released at a time when there's no Barbie sort of like connection to it. And it could just be people who love movies going to see a movie and putting away their goddamn phones. I know. I feel very, strict it's my biggest pet peeve is when people are on their phones in a theater i hate it i just i can't i it just i don't under i don't understand or when people when they want to because it is such a big movie they want to take a picture of a part of the film and post it so they can be a part of the conversation that they're seeing it and i'm just like yeah that's what a ticket stub is for that's what a that's what a movie poster outside the movie complex is for like take a selfie bitch sorry i get very (laughs) i get very emotional about those kind of things (laughs) yeah you know it's just um i get the temptation like yeah obviously there's a payoff right like 
if you get the scene that everybody's talking about and you post it, then yeah. it's going to go viral or whatever. So I understand the temptation, but I just think it's rude. It's I think very it's rude. rude. And you should be banished. You cannot. You, I mean, still come see movies because they need it. But I think it should be. Have you, you've been to Carnegie Hall, right? Oh, yes. Um, you know what they do whenever someone's on their phone is like one of the ushers shines like <gasps> the brightest ass flashlight of all yep. time, like on that person yep. and just like waves it around and like every, like everybody's they eyes did on that. it. I'm like, shame them. They did shame that. <laughs> I went to an Academy screening where the first screening of the color purple musical, the new one. And they, they were doing that. People were trying to use their phones and take pictures, And then they were coming out with lights being like, kernel, kernel. and I was just like, you know, Oprah personally paid each and every one of those people to do that. And I'm, <laughs> I'm here for it. Shame them. Shame them. I know. It's Ugh. just, yeah, I do feel that. I, I feel um, particularly strict about it because I know when I'm watching a film at home, I'm getting a worse experience because yeah. I don't feel obligated to others yeah. yes. to um, put distractions away. Yeah. And so like that accountability is really important to me where I'm like, yeah, I'm bored, but like, I'm not going to get my phone out because that might interfere with someone who isn't bored. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And also I'm never that bored. Just get a snack. I love, a, I love a movie <laughs> yeah. theater hot dog. My God, that's uh, a really good advice. You know, I never thought of that, but oh, get a snack. Next time I'm bored, I'm just going to get up and get get some a snack. Get some get some fruit snacks. Get some popcorn. Get some nachos. I mean, there's so many things you can do if you're bored. Trust me. Yeah, I got all the right, I got right. all the advice, Izzy. Well, Izzy, thank <laughs> you so much for doing this. Where can people well follow you on the internet? But also, when can they see a new video from you on your Be Kind Rewind Ooh. YouTube channel? So I will have a new video up. Toward the middle of next week, Ooh, I would guess, like very exciting. soon. It's it's so it's a early us. February, early February, or right right at the end of January. Okay, within okay. a With couple of days. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yes, look out for that. That will be on my YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com slash bk rewind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter at bk rewind and on Instagram at bk underscore rewind amazing well thank you so much thank you for having me i had such a great time talking to you this weekend is a great weekend to catch up on movies you missed in theaters how do i know you miss them in theaters because they made no money (laughs) the first film is the marvel streaming on disney plus it stars allison brie and continues her captain marvel story i heard it's a fun movie from the four people who watched in theaters you can also watch uncharted on hulu starring mark Wahlberg and tom holland i don't know what it's about but Watching the two of them together seems fun, yeah? Or maybe that's why it didn't make any money. I don't know. The movie uh, about the GameStop stock drama, Dumb Money, hits Netflix this weekend, and it actually looked kind of good. I mean, it looked like a fun little watch. It looked like a nice movie for a couch Netflix watch. You know what I'm saying? And finally, the soccer drama comedy, not really sure what it is, uh, called Next Goal Wins. It hits Prime Video this weekend. Now what's pissing me off, and this is going to be a little controversial, Comedy Central announced that Jon Stewart will be returning to The Daily Show this year after a nine-year absence since he left the show. Now listen, I like Jon Stewart, and I know they're bringing him back because it's an election year and people want to watch him and whatever, whatever. It just feels old and boring 
and basic. You know what I mean? Like there are so many more talented new voices that could bring a perspective to an election year that we've never heard from before. Let Jon Stewart have his own show or host a podcast or do whatever they do these days. But maybe stop letting these corporate companies sort of just like bring in all the things that have worked in the past and maybe force them to Try something new. Give someone new a chance. Something different. I don't know. Maybe be creative. Hmm. I don't want a what a what a novel idea. Okay. If you want to send me hate, you can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to the Parting Shot. Leave a little rating and review. You know, if you liked what you heard, or even if you didn't, you can tell me that too. And watch something fun this weekend. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>